Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Chad Bokelman. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 109. 109, the big Boston Wizard World Comic Con episode. Yeah, relatively large. Well, yeah, medium size. <laughs> <laughs> not not minuscule. No, no, by no means. We have a we have a, a large group of gentlemen to talk to. We'll talk to and about tonight. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, you went to Wizard World Austin. How was it? It was was pretty cool. Uh, For the first, like, you know, I would, I guess, regular con. I mean, because I guess Super Show doesn't really count as a a con. I wouldn't say it's a show, but I wouldn't say it's a con. It's a mini con. Um, yeah, mini con, but for the first like I suppose regular size con, it was it was uh one thing I noticed though is is um Artist Alley. I didn't expect this, but Artist Alley was where pretty much everybody was at. <laughs> you know? I mean there was vendors galore, t shirts galore, you know, all these old school issues and you know, like celebrities like Hayden Panettiere and Chandler Riggs and Adam Baldwin and all them were there. But most of the crowd was over at Artist Alley. That's well, you know. I guess that it all depends on the area and what people are going for. Um, when I when I went to the Big Apple Wizard, Wizard World, it was uh, it was definitely dispersed fairly evenly. Um, although Artist Alley was, you know, it was crowded, but it was a lot smaller in comparison to the rest of the show. Yeah, Artist Alley was kind of, it's like its own, own, I mean, it wasn't like separate or anything, like from the rest of the room, but the way they had it sectioned, it was pretty much the size of the regular room. Like, if you were to split uh, Artist Alley and the rest of it uh, in half, it would probably be about even. Wow. So, uh, so you talked to some people? I did. I did indeed. So, let's, uh, we'll start off with the, uh, the first interview. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Uh, Tom Wynn. That is indeed how you say his name. Yes, I figured it out. <laughs> Although I, I'll be referring to him as Tom Newin, only because and and I, I told you I would explain this to you. <laughs> One of the reasons that I purposely mispronounce names, and in this case, it's not a a total mispronunciation because he does give you that option. Mm-hmm. Is because when people are reading the comics, they don't always know exactly how to pronounce the name. And if we start referring to people as Tom Wynn and Yvonne Hayes, you know, they may have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. You know, if it's their first episode, listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. and we start talking about these people, it's like, wait, what comic are they talking about? Who the hell is Yvonne Hayes? It's Ivan Reese. <laughs> So, that's why I do what I do. That's funny, because I had a conversation with an artist, I don't remember his name, um, over at Comic-Con, and it was, uh, we were talking about Yvonne Hayes, and he was like, see, now you said that, like, what? what is this, how are you supposed to say his name? And I was like, it's Yvonne Hayes, that's how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> and I tell him this whole story about, he says, you know, I wish my name was Ivan, you know, but... <laughs> Apparently that's 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 a big debate out there. <laughs> to me, he is Ivan. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so here's the Tom Newin interview, and uh, we'll talk about it afterwards. 
Alright. We're here at Austin Comic Con in Austin, Wizard World, uh, and I'm here with one of the inkers from many different Green Lantern books, and one of the problems that we've been having, it's a run-on joke, because we not because your name's hard, but because we're terrible with pre pronunciation, but for once and for all, how how you pronounce correctly your name? Um, you could say it any other way as long as you say my first name correctly. There's two ways to say it. There's Win, which is more of the native Vietnamese pronunciation. And then there's the Americanized pronunciation, which I prefer, which is Nguyen, which is a silent G. Okay. Because it's more, it, it sounds more phonetically the way it's spelled. So if I just say silent G and you look at my last name, it phonetically makes more sense that way. Okay. Okay. Well, I was racking my brain trying to figure out what questions specifically do you ask an anchor? I mean, it's it's kind of hard, I mean, because I would say your job and the colorist's job, for the most part, go unnoticed in comics, for com comparatively, as far as pencils, go unnoticed unless you do a bad job, and then you get all the flack in the world, oh, it wasn't the artist, it was the anchor. So how, how do you deal with that kind of a, a stress level to your job? Uh, I actually look at it as a, in, in a different way. I, I think that um, my job is to make the penciler look as good as possible. Right. Um, but but I actually I, I somewhat disagree with um, if it's a bad job then we get to blame. I, I actually think if it's a bad job the penciler gets to blame, and if it's a good job then the penciler gets all the credit. So um, you know the the inker um, even even though all of our lines are present on the page and every single line you see is the inker's lines, um, you know. The only way people really notice is if the, the line work is very distracting or maybe jarring. But if people just kind of go through and not really notice, and I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of, you know, just kind of not stealing the spotlight but doing our best to enhance the penciler's work. Um, depending on the penciler, some pencilers will be tighter, some pencilers will be looser. And we just want to basically, um, a friend of mine, an inker, Mark Stegbar, put it best one time. He says. Um, our job, I think, is to is to redraw the page in black and white ink. Redraw it to the best of our ability in the amount of time that we have. I believe that was him that said it. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, you know, just clean it up, enhance it, make it look uh, kick-ass in pure black and white form. Well, when I was on the our forums, our podcast forums, when I was talking to some of our listeners, and I was asking them what do they want to ask you, and one of our listeners actually was wondering, whenever they see your name in a book, it's usually among a few other anchors, uh, sometimes even up to five. So I was wondering, or they were wondering actually, rather, um, does that help or hinder your process? And along those same lines, do you find yourself trying to mimic the other anchors' styles to try and make the things seem more, uh, you know, kind of consistent? Uh, it's a very good question. Uh, usually when we are in that situation where we're grouped with a bunch of inkers, it's because we're under such deadline duress, and the book is behind. We need to get it done, so we will get as many inkers as we can to get the book done on time, or at least uh, uh, at the latest late as possible, or, or the least late as possible. I can't even speak. <laughs> so um, that's, that's why you see that. Um, when we're in that situation, then we don't really worry about, personally, about keeping the style consistent. We just want to get it done. Right. So, now, with the new 52, now, I'm sure you've 
obviously had a couple of jobs with the new 52. Uh, Green Lantern 1, for example. Is it, and 3, and 3. I didn't see your name on 2, I just haven't picked up 3 yet. Um, but uh, are, are the deadlines stricter? We've heard rumors that, that the DO and all the rest of them are, are cracking the whip even more so nowadays on all the new 52 books. So I was wondering, are you, are you guys as the creators feeling that deadline push? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, personally on my end, it's not any different than before the whole 52 thing. Um, but yes, I, I know that they really want to make a good impression, and they have, and it's you know, shown in the reception and the sales. Um, we can't mess this up. We cannot mess this up, and that's why the books absolutely have to be even more strict with deadlines than ever. Um, but on my end, it's the same old. I get the page. I get you know, a page done per day within, you know, uh, I, I take what I can handle, and I get it done when I say I do. So it's, um, you know, and, and if, if they need it faster than that, they just get more anchors. Now, I was looking at your credentials because there's a couple of other anchors here that I've been always interested in what they do. And you've got a lot of Green Lantern-specific stuff under your belt. Is that by your design or by someone? Because are you a fan of the character outside, or how's all that work? Um, I'm a fan of the character, but that's more of because um, my association with Doug Mankey, the penciler. We've worked together a long time. Our names are associated together for a long time for most of our careers. And naturally, by way of him being on Green Lantern, I kind of follow with. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good working relationship, and it's, um, it's been very fortunate to me, very thankful, you know, to work on such a great book that sells well and that many people love. And they see my work, and then, you know, I get great compliments from them, just like, you know, from you and meet people like you. So, um, no complaints. No complaints? Well, and I'm going to be strictly honest, because not everybody is, is an art fan of certain people. And when I first started reading, when Monkey got on the job, I wasn't a fan. And then it just started to grow on me. Same with Kirkham, uh, and actually Gleason, as a matter of fact, all the people who are here, it's, it's art I've become to appreciate. Now, is it, is it because of your working relationship, or is, is it just you complement each other so well? Um, I think it's both. I think it's equal parts both. Okay. And I, I uh, can't leave out uh, Mr. Pat Gleason either. You know, we've been buddies before, you know, he broke into comic books. I broke in a little bit earlier than he did. But, um, you know, we go way back as well. So it's, uh, I, I kind of happen to be friends with the right people, you know, <laughs> to, to get all these Green Lantern credentials. So, uh, you know, that's just, that's just how it happened. It's all, it's all about connections, huh? Exactly. Well, we were wondering as far as, I mean, because I, I, I tried to do as much digging as possible, but I saw a lot of ink credits for you. As far as pencils, is there a dream job for you? Is there something you're looking forward to? Is I mean, anything along those lines is just, you can't, you can't get out of this business until I've done this. Right. Um, I'd like to get on a monthly book, you know, pencils. I mean, I've done some minor stuff here and there, pinups here and there for, you know, DC and some miniseries and stuff like for IDW. And, and also, um, I've got two instructional books on how to draw. I've also done a fill-in half issue of Green Lantern Corps pencils and inks. So I'd, I'd like to take it to the next level where I'm doing just more steady penciling and ultimately Spider-Man is my guy. I like to do Spider-Man. Spider-Man? That's, you know, I'm, I'm, I, won't, I'm, I won't die. I won't die until I do Spider-Man. <laughs> it's, it's hardwired in your DNA. <laughs> now, let's see here. I got, oh, here we go. The, one of the other, one of the other uh, listener questions I had was, 
do you prefer to ink certain scenes over others? Is it, I mean, is it like whether it's uh, landscaping or buildings or fight scenes? I mean, just any particular thing that you 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 see, you get the pencils from say Monkey and go. I got. I mean, if there's like a crap ton of anchors and go, I, I want this. I want this page. Let me do this. Uh, usually, um, any splash pages with action, like in your face action. Usually, maybe one or two to three characters. The more characters, then it gets tedious. But if it's one to three characters, splash page, it's a good enough big shots of each character that I know it's going to be cool. So, action. Now, I did notice your credits on a lot of Blackest Night stuff. And as we all know, Blackest Night was huge. Biggest thing in 2010, wasn't it? The biggest thing in 2010, absolutely. Uh, and probably the biggest thing in comics for a good few years. Yeah. So to work on something like that, regardless of the scope, has that how? I mean, are you getting more and more recognition? I mean, because, I mean, people like Gleason, Monkey Johns, they get the huge lines, but are they reading the rest of the credits and going, oh, the top? They are, you know, and, and, and I'm buddies with Keith Champagne and uh, Christian Alamy and Mark Irwin and, and Drew Jerase. You know, I mean, the guys that have helped out in the past over the big stuff. Um, I think Drew may be more of the uh, final crisis because that's when the Mankey really started blowing up. Big. Um, yeah, it's trickled down. I mean, you know, uh, me and Keith and... Uh, Christian Allen, me especially, when we when we're doing shows together, I mean the lines are there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it can't hurt. Let's put it that way. You know, it can only it can only help us. And as much as, or let me repeat, as as little as I've contributed, because I haven't contributed as much as some other guys who are regular. I mean, I can only imagine how much it would, like you know, raise my cachet if I was a regular. But I'm not, and I'm still getting the uh, trickle down effect of the attention. You know, my Facebook has blown up. No, just kidding. <laughs> Twitter is still a little behind, but come on. Come on, guys. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> so with that, I mean, it's all who you know. So can you poke Monkey and say, hey, talk to the editors and, you know, or whatever. Or, or are you trying to get right now what's in the pipeline for you as far as achieving your dreams? Like you told me earlier, you want to get on Spider-Man. You want to do a, a, a monthly I'm just cruising by, man. You know, they just call me when they need the help, and usually it's every month or every other month. I'll do some pages here and there, and and my spare time, I'm just working on commissions, doing my own stuff, um, keep working on a portfolio. And and actually, in the last year, I've been really bumping up my uh, photography career, doing some uh, photography work, some commercial photography, some editorial photography, and also uh, photographing unbelievably hot chicks and almost next to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I can't turn that down. You can understand me if I've got to, you know, push aside comics for a while for that. <laughs> Which, which is interesting, because when I was doing research on the some of your past stuff, not Green Lantern related, I went to your website yeah. and I saw that picture of you and like twelve or fifteen I girls. I'm, not so, I'm I'm such a, I don't know. I'm the type of guy that I guess feminists hate. <laughs> get get in trouble with your wife all the time for that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, no, just, yeah, I'm not married. <laughs> oh, no. No. Not yet? So, now, as far as the anchor's job, and you said you've, it, it's, it's interesting, you said you had an op opposite reaction as far as the anchors aren't getting uh, the negative press that I thought they were getting. Uh, with, with, with the fans that I've heard, it is that way. I mean, I, do, you, do you get the reaction in a different way? Let me rephrase that. I think if the fans are accustomed to a certain artist, then they will notice the anchor, but... If, if it's a newer artist or something, and the team is fresh, 
then in my experience, they don't know how much the anchor has contributed. What they see, they just assume the penciler did it. Whether, you know, it's either the penciler's fault or a full penciler credit. Because we still get that stigma where we're just tracers. But, I mean, I can understand, yes, like on, say, Jim Lee, Doug Mankey or something like that. They have, they've been around for a while. People kind of know what their style is supposed to look like. So, yes, they, let, you know, let me, let me refine my answer to, to okay. reflect that. So, I do see their point. Okay. Because, because I have noticed in the past a lot of, a lot of play, blame gets placed on the art. If the art is bad, okay. at least with, with some of the feedback we've been getting for, uh, whenever we review a certain issue, they're like, oh, well, the anchor must have messed that up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes so. they'll say that and not really know why they say that. You know, sometimes that's the easy excuse because, you know, sometimes it, it might be a rush job. The penciler might be off, and the pen and the anchor might have done his or her best to save the page. And you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, and I'm not saying that the art was bad in the first place. It might just look off because of deadlines or a bad day or something. Okay. And the last question I personally had would be. Um, the colorist, because I was saying earlier how the anchor and color don't get a whole lot of recognition. Uh, for me personally, I enjoy Nate, the works of like Nate Rafino. The colors really pop whenever she's doing her work. So how does how does your we know how anchors clash and artists are come together? How do you work with the colorists whenever you're doing your inks? Um, honestly, I don't. You don't. You know, if, if I, my role is strictly the anchor, once my inks, my black and white is done, and I send it off, then it's out of my hands. Um, the only way I might impact the colorist is if the later I am, the less time the colorist has to do the work. So I try to be as efficient as I can and be, we're all under the gun, you know. But sadly, they're, they're last in the pipeline. And sometimes they get hit the worst as far as, you know, the writer starts to take up a little more time than they should have, which goes down to the penciler and the inker, and by the time the colorist gets it, you know, it's, uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's out of my hand. The penciler sometimes might have a say in it. The editor has a say in it. But as far as me, my job is done. Well, as far as upcoming works, besides obviously your stuff on Green Lantern, is there anything you'd like to promote while I have you? Uh, um, I'm always, always promoting my uh, two instructional books, Incredible Comics with Tom Nguyen, and then the sequel, which came out last year, Incredible Comic Book Women with Tom Nguyen, which teaches you how to draw just hot chicks. The first one is just more like a general how to draw comics. So I'm always promoting those. You can find those on Amazon, uh, any fine bookstore, Barnes & Noble, you know, uh, Borders before they went out of business. <laughs> but, uh, you know, dealers at comic shops might have it. So. Some of us geeks can't at least get to talk to hot chicks. At least we can draw them and see them. But, you know, what I always stress is that if you learn how to draw hot chicks, they will want you to draw them. That's the, that's the side effect. <laughs> Seriously. Loopholes. This is what I always say. There is no hot chick there that doesn't want to be drawn if they find a good artist. They love to get drawn. How do you think I got all my models? Look at all that. See that? Yeah. Former Vikings cheerleaders, Minnesota Vikings. Wow. You know? <laughs> well, seriously, it's, it's all about the uh, art and how you promote yourself. Well, that's as good a note as any to end on. So, Tom, thank you for so much for taking yeah, the time out. Right? Yeah, Chad, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I will send you the link as soon as everything is up online. Please do. Okay, and that was the Tom Newman interview. <laughs> uh, the listeners, <laughs> we've we basically time-traveled in that we just jumped right to the end. No time passed for us. So, uh...
so yeah, that was cool. I, you know, how come you didn't ask him? Well, okay, I, I'll I'll get to that question later. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping the gun there. Um, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It was an inter- interesting interview, and I, you know, I think I have an even bigger appreciation for him and what he does. Uh, one of the one of the things with with him is like. I, I don't think I've ever had a problem, you know, looking at his inks. Uh, he does compliment Gleason and uh, Monkey. Monkey very well. So, you know, to to that, yeah, I, he he does do a very good job, and he's right. You know, if if the art looks good, then the the artist is going to get the credit. You know, the the penciler. Um, Although I, you know, like he, he later on, you know, recanted his his statement. If if you are used to the the penciler and you know how you know it looks when it looks really good, you know, you will absolutely pick up a bad anchor. <laughs> We're gonna start like a whole uh, Brian Deemer and uh, Jamie D argument here, aren't we? <laughs> how so? Well, whether or not uh, a reader will notice art or not, <laughs> if an artist changes or if the ink the inks change. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, not not that everybody's going to notice, but yeah. you know, like if you're if you're like really following a fan, like look, look, we we read Green Lantern like freaking religiously, so mm-hmm. we 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 are a lot more observant than like a casual fan. Um, and I, I think that there are a lot of fans that are, you know, not that they read it, like they're going to discuss it, but they are definitely like really taking things in and, you know, you are going to notice, you know, bumps and hiccups and stuff like that. You know, it's, yeah, I would say, you know, a casual, uh, a casual comic reader would pick up an issue, Especially, like, even if even if they're a casual comics reader who's devoted to a series, I'd say they pick up an issue and go, if they're going to talk about it with a friend who reads the same story, if they're going to mention the art at all, they're just going to go, oh, I thought it was good, cool, and then move on to, like, what they thought of the story and what they think is going to happen next issue. But because, you know, we do this show, we go in-depth more, I would think. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation just casual comic reader to, to, to reader, you know, of about as much about the art as as about the story. Yeah, I, I don't. I I would agree with that uh, for the most part. Although you know, I'm there. There definitely have been like art based conversations that I've had. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's it, it's it is a lot more noticeable when you know the artist's style, you know, if you have a bad anchor, um, it, it, that, that's really like one of the few ways that you would know that it's a bad anchor, really. Yeah. And I don't really know whose fault it is though. Like, you know how I've been complaining in the past whenever monkey draws scenes on earth, you know what I mean? How, how some of the faces and stuff looks weird. 
I mean, I don't really think that's art. I just think I just appreciate Monkey more when it's a cosmic monster setting. And and Tom and I talked about that because I, you know, would swing by his booth all through the weekend. And then he said, yeah, you know, Monkey's a big, you know, aliens and monsters buff. So yeah. that's, pro- that's probably why his style looks so incredible when you're placing the, the storyline in the middle of deep space. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Like I said, I I like Monkey's art, and you know it, it's rare that I you know have a problem with it at all. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> not really, not really a lot other things to really you know go into with this particular interview. Is was there anything that you wanted to highlight? <laughs> what did you think of that closing statement from him uh, about uh, drawing women? You know, if you do if you do a Google search, a Google image search for Tom Ewan, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about that one picture of him in a group shot. Oh no, not even that. I went to his website and I, I saw that one where he's just like looking up, like "Thank you, God," <laughs> which is which is terrific. But he's like, there's another picture where he's like standing next to like this, this tall, gorgeous blonde woman that he like drew her, you know, her portrait or whatever. I and it's just like, oh wow, that's that's pretty cool. Oh, I will mention that after listening to the interview, I did go on Amazon and I checked out his uh, How to Draw Art books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look good. I you know the mm-hmm. uh, the How to Draw Women, especially. Um, you know he's 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 got that down. So no, oh, you know it's funny. It's funny because I was saying you know I swung by the booth a couple of times. Uh, basically, I was pestering him all week, and he didn't seem to mind. But uh, it's <laughs> I, I swung by the booth uh, like you know towards the end the end of the day Saturday or something like that. And uh, no, it was Sunday, <laughs> and I was just talking to him and you know flipping through some of his pages. Um, Oh, and by the way, the double page spread of um, Mogo sucking up all the Black Lanterns on uh, uh, during during GLC. Yeah, that that was there, <laughs> and my God, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, there was so many pit. Like there was a there was it was only a hundred dollars. There was like a a page featuring Hal and Larfleeze talking. You know what I mean? And I was like, it was only a hundred dollars, but I'm broke as crap. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but uh, now, question: Does yeah. he? Okay, some sometimes uh, an inker will like ink a photocopy mm-hmm. of the pencils. Sometimes they'll ink the actual pencils. Is he selling mm-hmm. the inked pencils, or is he selling selling an inked he- photocopy? He's selling the inked pencils for a hundred dollars. It depends on the page. There are other pages in there that were well above that. Right. <laughs> but, but uh, there's a, you know I guess I guess it depends on not necessarily just the art, but I'm I'm sure it depends on popularity of the storyline. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know the the double page spread from GLC of Mogo blowing the hell out of Oa oh, yeah. is is going to go for. A, is going to go for a whole lot more than just a random page of Larflees and Hal talking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A double so. double page spread, like you know, with almost anybody, you're looking at like 
700, 800 bucks or more. Yeah. Um, I believe that was, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to, te- to, to tell because on a page like that, it's hard for me to differentiate between Tyler Kirkham and Doug Monkey because, you know, it's OA and there's a lot of background stuff. You know what I mean? Right. So I can't remember if I saw that at, at, at his booth or Tyler's because Tyler did have a lot of art at his booth as well. Um, all, all expensive, but all gorgeous. But anyways, back to the story. So I swing by Sunday to Tom's booth and I'm looking through his stuff and, and he doesn't like to leave his booth unless he can help it, you know. So he's like, Here's some money. We we if you uh, go grab me a soda from the concession stand over there, I'll give you a free print. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> I go I'll go get you a diet coke in exchange, you know, for a print. I'll be your bitch for five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> why not? So he has this 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 beautiful print. It's like the it's basically like the copper tone girl all grown up. Okay. You know, so with the, the dog, dog pulling, pulling down the yeah, bathing suit. Yeah, that's, so he gave me a print of that. I mean, it, it was a choice between like three different prints, and I, I picked that one. But he does he does do women very well. I will say that. I, and <laughs> seeing seeing the way he does women now, like after the fact, makes me wish I would have gotten a different commission from him in my sketchbook. <laughs> so maybe he'll uh, after he hears this interview next time I see him at a show, he'll hook me up with a free sketch of a. Of a woman of my choice, um, <laughs> but uh, no, Tom was real cool all weekend. I mean, just just you know, down to talk about anything and real friendly and and everything. If you see Tom at a show, very approachable. Go talk to him. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find this this image of the copper tone girl. <laughs> um, it's it's very kind of cartoony, uh, I would say, as opposed to being photo photorealistic, but it's. It's still very beautiful. Um, what color hair? Blonde, I think. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, damn it. Why don't you just go to his website? Oh, I I found it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So I got a print of that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like freaking gorgeous. Yeah, so, okay, now, his dream project is Spider-Man. Yes. Now, you see, I, I would buy <laughs> a Tom Nguyen Spider-Man comic, if only to see how he would draw, like, you know, Mary Jane and some of the other, you know, uh, Black Cat, some of those characters. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. I, I'd like to see him on a, you know, a female superhero book. I would. I mean, hell, you saw the copper tone pick. Yes, yes, I did. So, <laughs> it's fantastic stuff. Oh my god! Yeah, his, I'm looking at his Deviant Art account. I, he does. He does fan. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said a thousand. He does great, and he's and in in besides his work, you know what impressed me the most about Tom is 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 what I said earlier. He is super approachable. He's Great guy, and and I was talking, you know, Wizard World set me up with the press pass and everything, but they were super busy, and it was kind of like up to me to get all the interviews I needed to get. Um, so when I was there on day one, 
just going through the crowd, and I told him, I'm trying to set up an interview with you, so we'll see how it all goes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was just like, well, if you have your recorder, just come right behind the table, sit down, and we'll do it. I was like, all right. <laughs> Man, this his art is amazing. Yeah, see? I mean, he's stuck doing ink, so, I mean, you know what I mean? Just Yeah, that's like... And he's a photographer too. Yeah, yeah, that he does. <laughs> I remember hearing that part. Gets to photograph photograph uh, nearly naked women. Well, it's not just that. It's it's other it's other kind of stuff too. I'm I'm looking at a few other things here too. So, um, unless I'm looking at the wrong person, I've or the wrong website. I don't think I am. Now, I'm not going to say that his talent is you know being wasted by not having him on inking a book or painting covers or whatever because yeah. I mean he clearly does a, a fantastic job on his inks mm-hmm. um, oh man he inked Final Crisis oh he inked the uh, final the, was it the final page of Final uh, final issue I believe so yes yeah I actually really enjoyed those inks Those, that, that was like one of the few times that it was noticeably good inks. Yeah, he does he does great stuff. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that was a good interview. Um, yeah. Although, to be fair, I think the next one the, the next one is my favorite. Okay. The Mark A. Nelson. Mark A. Nelson, yes. Yes. Um, you know, when you we're running down the list of, of people that were going to be at the show, mm-hmm. you know, that have some tie to green lantern. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well he is green lantern. His particular green lantern contribution is probably not that big comparatively speaking with a lot of other creators, but, right. but his, his body of work and you know, what he's done, what he's seen in the industry make him, you know, a very, very, you know, excellent choice for an interview. Mm-hmm. So with that teased, here's Mark A. Nelson and Chad. So I'm here, uh, Austin Comic Con, day two, Saturday, and I'm sitting here with Mr. Mark Nelson. How's it going, sir? It's going fine, my friend. Going fine. Uh, he's done work on uh, Aliens, Nexus, and even a brief stint on Green Lantern for a little while on the covers <laughs> back in the early 90s. So uh, I inked uh, Pat Broderick covers, and uh, actually I inked a couple Joe Staten covers too when he was uh, doing Guy Gardner. So yeah, and and the the question I had because there's only so many questions you can ask when you have a have a run like that is what was DC uh, direction like? Because with the new 52 coming out, I'm sure you heard, yeah. you know, they're, they're crunching on deadlines, they're going all kinds of crazy, they're, they're not messing around. And I'm sure as a business they weren't messing around back then either, but what was it like working for DC at the time? No, DC was a wonder, it was a great company. I mean, I was working mainly with Andrew, Andrew Helfer, who um, was the guy who was the main editor for you know Green Lantern and a bunch of the other projects. and. Uh, I mean, we had deadlines. I mean, and, and Staten is obviously a consummate professional. Broderick was always on time, so I never had a deadline crunch with any of the stuff I worked at. Um, 
DC treated me really well, so I can't, you know, uh, can't complain at all. They were a good company to work for at that time. Now, did you have any uh, passing interest in Green Lantern at the time, or was it just a you know, job is a job? I've always liked Green Lantern as a character. You know, I go back to the old Gil Kane stuff, and I like a lot of the wacky uh, villains and everything in that. So when Andy said, would you be interested, we're sort of relaunching, you know, because it was the three Green Lanterns. <laughs> Excuse me, you know, Guy Gardner, and I can't remember the name of the other two. Uh, Al, Al Guy and... John Stewart. Well, there was, they were yeah. doing Mosaic at the time, right. right? Okay. And he said, would you be interested in making Broderick? And I went, great, sure. You know, so I mean... For me, it's just been fun. I've worked with a lot of good people in the industry. Uh, I do a lot of penciling on, on different projects. I mean, I pencil and ink aliens, but I've also uh, did a lot of inking on different people. And with Andy, he gave me a chance to work because I was doing a lot of the duotone work. So um, the uh, Green Lantern covers were sometimes had zipatone. Sometimes they were done on the uh, sort of irregular duotone. I inked the Huntress issue with Staten, which was all done in duotone. And I did a bunch of just duotone work on some other people's stuff. So, you know, I mean, I was sort of the guy that knew the duotone, I guess. So it kind of got me in there, and it was great. I mean, Joe Staten is one of the, uh, I think, a really underrated, incredibly good storyteller. I just, inking his work was just a lot of fun for DC, yeah. And, and about inking, specifically inking, because yeah, I was talking with Tom Wynn, uh, who's currently working on Green Lantern inks right now, uh, among other things, at least with the, the the comics I've been, the people I've been talking to, if a piece of art is bad, people are fiercely loyal to the artist and say the the inker or the color screwed that up. There's no way my artist messed that up. So I was wondering, has that that was that dynamic there when you were on on books or? Well, the, the, you brought up a kind of interesting story because at one point Joe Staten was the art director at First Comics. And I said to him, jokingly, I said, it's kind of nice in one sense to be the inker because you can say, yeah, the pencils are really tight and I could really do a nice job inking them. Or you could say, uh, you know, I really saved those pencils, man. They were really sloppy if I hadn't cleaned them up in the inks. But then again, I, you know, the penciler can say, I gave him these beautiful pencils and he really wrecked them in the inks. And, you know, I, I think the hard thing is to find people that work well with each other, you know, because recently... Bob McLeod has been putting some stuff up on Facebook, and it's really nice to see the pencils, because he was working a lot from less finishes, and how much he added and what he did to really beef out the look and everything else. On the other hand, you know, when you get someone like Brian Bolin, the pencils are so goddamn tight and beautiful that you just sweat your ass off if you had to ink them. Um, I inked, and I don't know if we can cross here, but I inked uh, Kevin O'Neill and Marshall Vaughn. Those were brilliant pencils. Those were just stunning. I was so afraid inking the first uh, couple pages. It took me a whole day just to ink one page because I was like, oh, my God. I was afraid I'd wreck his work. But another friend of mine who was an inker, uh, Nyberg, who did a lot of work for DC, when the book came out, he said he couldn't tell where my inks um, started and where uh, O'Neill's ended because it was O'Neill inked two of the pages out of the whole thing. And I inked the rest. So I thought that was a pretty nice compliment. And... He was great working on. I got to ink Mike Minola. He's another, you know, it's amazing, you know, with his pencils and what he does. You know, I've inked a lot of different people. I got to ink Adam Hughes on a... Um, that's that's impressive to me, personally. Martian Manhunter yeah. piece. And, I mean, you know, Adam has always been 
I think, you know, his line quality and what he does with people and emotion and the suggestion is just amazing. Always been that way. I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, because eh, I've kind of been around, <coughs> you know. Well, you know, uh, and, and the, the the thing about inks, specific, I mean, yeah, we're, we'll get your art, but, but as far as the inks go, um, Lately, especially with Deadline Crutches, you know, Green Lantern-centric podcast, DC, Deadline Crutches, you see at least five anchors at points on the, on the same issue. And well, I also did that, though, for a while, and some of the X-Books, because they got so far behind, right. they call up and say, okay, you know, can you ink two pages, can you ink three pages, to get them back on track. Now, you know, again, I don't, I'm not part of the scheduling, and I don't right. know where it, it's, you know, because when you do that, people always say, oh, it's this person's fault or that person. This didn't turn in that. And, you know, the, the whole thing is is that, you know, you got to turn around and you got to get it done and get it in and get it out and get it printed. Well, when it comes to a situation like that, if you were involved in that situation, do you find yourself trying to uh, make it cohesive throughout the whole issue that your inks kind of match up with another inker on the same issue? Or or do you just do your job and let hope that they kind of look somewhat the same on the others? It's, I, I, you know, because you don't see anything else, you know, and, and since we're so atomized and, you know, I would be out in Illinois at that time, you know, package arrives, you go, okay, there's the pencils. Because even in some cases they would have an issue that would be penciled by two or three people or someone would pencil five pages and someone would pencil this. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a history of a little bit of, you know, juggling and different things like that going on, but there's also been a great history that there's just guys that, you know, I mean, you look at someone like, you know, like even John Byrne, you know, just bang, 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 you know, always on the money, always there, always consummate, always professional. Manola the same way, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of good people out there, too. But there's, every once in a while, there's a hiccup, you never know, you know. I mean, the hardest thing is, and and someone asked me once about making a living as an artist, and and the hardest way for me to make a living as an artist, I said, would be to be in the comic books. Because you have to be able to draw everything, you know, from cars to shoes to people to Spider-Man, you know, or, or any character flying through the air and then sitting down having a cup of coffee. So you got to know perspective, you got to know your textures, you got to know your weapons, you got to know your guns. Then you have your storytelling you got to play with and all this kind of stuff. Whereas if someone comes at me and just says, okay, design a monster, I sit down and draw a monster just sitting on a rock and that's it, you know. But in the comic book, you got to give them... His characters, emotion. You got to make a move. You got to draw them over and over and over and over and over. It's a it's a pretty grueling way. So you know, if you think of 26 pages a month, you know that's you you have to pencil a page a day, and that means in February you get two days off. Right. That's so right. you know, <laughs> yeah, and that means that means you're penciling. That means you're not doing any research or referencing. I mean, I know that a lot of the guys that I worked with, and I'm guilty of it too, is that you sit down and you start gathering your reference. You like to do a set of thumbnails of the whole issue first, and if that takes you three or four days, that means you know you're cutting that time off, and you got to catch up somehow. And when I swung by your table the other day, you were giving out a couple of copies of something called Dinosaur Tales. Oh, and now your 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 father is an artist, correct? Yes. So, and we were talking earlier about like uh, Gil Kane and, and John Byrne and all these people. So when back. When you were appreciating that art as collecting it, and then when you got into the industry, any good stories? Because that stuff is fast. I mean, it's, a lot of these people aren't around anymore. You can't. I mean, I can't take it to get signed. I can't. Yeah. I, mean, I can't ask stories. It's all secondhand. So, I mean, you know, with, with me, I mean, again, I was out sort of in the middle of nowhere, 
and a lot of those guys, you know, they're in New York and they're around in that whole area. So it was always kind of fun when I could get into New York and I could go into the offices and sit down and you'd be just amazed at the people coming in and going out and all that kind of stuff. And then you got to hear all the different stories and how true they are, I don't know. But I mean, it was kind of fun because when I was working on the martial law thing, I was in the office with my two editors, Dan Charchester and Margaret, and we called up Kevin O'Neill, and I'm sitting there talking to Kevin O'Neill on the phone, one of my heroes. It's like, wow, this is just too much to believe, you know. So, I mean, I don't have, like, the stories of, oh, you know, I found him in a cab, you know, vomiting with 14 hookers or something like that, you know what I mean? Mine are all, I mean, I've, I've met so many of these people that are just, they're professional, they're wonderful, it's great to sit down and talk with them, you know, and it's, it is, it's just, you know, I mean, the Marvel bullpen didn't exist when I was there. I wish I would have seen that. Yeah. And DC had just moved their offices, so that was still a little crazy and chaotic. Um, but, you know, I mean, as, as, you, as most people probably know, I mean, most of the time, you're so atomized. You know, I mean, DC's in New York, Marvel's in New York, Federal Express, whoop, 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 and that, you know, would mail out the stuff, and you'd get it, you'd finish your job and do it. Because at one point, I was working with Dark Horse, and that's in Portland, Oregon. I was working with Eclipse Comics, and that was down in California. Marvel and DC were in New York, so I had all two coasts covered. And, you know, I, I was just sitting in a little tiny studio in Illinois in King Comic Pages. And then doing a few conventions here and there. You, you mentioned Dark Horse. Now, when I, when I was a kid, I got a stack of comics, a random assortment of stuff, one of which was a uh, crossover between Magnus the Robot Fighter and Nexus. And I got the second issue of that, and only until like the last year or so did I ever get the first issue. That was my first exposure ever to Nexus. And, oh. and then, since then, I've collected, and I have some of your old stuff. Oh, so you got the old first stuff. I, I do. Because really, with Dude, the Dude, Rude, and Baron, they started that up at Capitol, so it started in Capitol, the Capitol Comics. Yeah. And then it went to first, and uh, I can't remember exactly when I did it, but... Baron asked me to, you know, do some Clone Zone backups, and that was a lot of fun. And the one thing about the Clone Zone backup, and it was great working with Baron, and if you look at my work here, you can see it's kind of just filled with detail and everything. Oh, yeah, there's, not a, there's not a space left. <laughs> it's hard to find a place to sign. <laughs> and, um, but with Baron, he kept saying about Clone Zone, I wanted you to keep it clean, I want you to keep it Disney-esque. So, you know, going back and doing that was really a great challenge for me and it was it was really a you know wonderful thing and one of the stories we did in clone zone was a spoof on godzilla which then one of the editors randy stradley at dark horse saw and said would you be interested in doing some godzilla covers so i mean you just never know where things would lead back then and i think the thing about the industry is that we were i just to put it bluntly a little smaller Absolutely. and everybody kind of knew everybody in one sense and I mean, I'm just walking around here today, and I'm just like going, holy moly, Batman. Yeah, this is my second con ever, just uh -huh. like personally. And the, the first one I ever went to was based out of Philadelphia, and it's just like a small gathering of people that's like more family than anything. Yeah. And, and I can't even imagine what the hell San Diego would look oh. like, you know what I mean? Last time I did San Diego was way back in the 80s when the aliens came out. And I'm telling you, I could walk around and talk to all the artists and then, you know, go, go sit down. I went there last, not, yeah, last year, and it was like two football fields long. It was just, I, I was just like, oh my god, it was just huge. 
Comics are here. They're not a stigma anymore. Yeah. 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 So, and, you know, comics have changed quite a bit, too, and different things are happening, and you've got more tie-ins with some of the movies now. you got different kinds of things. I mean, you have a lot more independent publishers and, you know, small guys that are coming out and doing their own thing. And so, yeah, it's, an, it's still pretty, it seems to be a pretty vibrant uh, industry and keeps moving, you know. And we were talking Nexus, and then you mentioned your art. <laughs> well, your Nexus... Oh, let's, let's face it, Nexus, as, a, as his costume is concerned, like a pair of shades slash goggles and then a spandex uh, bodysuit. Uh, oh, Nexus is rude. I did Clone Zone. Clone Zone was the joke teller in the back, a little lizard. Sure. Okay. So I'm the guy. Okay. See, if you need, if you need okay. Well, superheroes, su- superheroes yeah. rude. There you go. The guy's great. Rude. George, I mean, uh, Jerry Ordway. You know, people like that are doing brilliant, they do brilliant superheroes. You need a lizard with a pimple on his ass, you call me. That, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Well, so we listed aliens. We lo- mentioned Nexus and Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Well, you're also credited with work on graphic classics. Yeah, those are great, too. I'm glad you brought those up. Yeah. Because that's Tom Pomplin, and he's a wonderful guy to work with. He's been, you know, he actually got me a, a dream job where on the Lovecraft um, graphic classic. Okay. I got to work with one of my heroes, Richard Corbin. So I, oh. did, I did part of the story. Corbin did another part, and the other part was done by Paul. And I always mispronounce his name, so I'm not even going to say it. But it was really nice. It was kind of fun to be, you know, there I am with Richard Corbin, because that's a guy who really, you know, affected me in the 70s, because all the underground comics and everything. So graphic classics are, you know, I've done, God, I've done, oh, uh, O. Henry, a Western with him. I did Jack London. Uh, a story, no, Tom's been great. Tom's actually a really wonderful person. Biographic classics. Well, not to mention, uh, it's it's a different it's a different uh, setup. I mean, it's different from a comic book. You're not getting necessarily a script, I would assume. It's just this is Bram Stoker. This is H.P. Lovecraft. You go to town. Don't you have a little more creative freedom in that respect? Well, with Tom, because Tom, the, the ones I worked on with Tom, he's he's a good editor, and what he does. He reads all this stuff and he pairs stuff down, and he will actually give you know sort of a page breakdown and and and, and panels and what's going to be in there, so I know. And he's got a couple other editors that he works with too that do really good jobs with that. Because you can't, yeah, you can't put every you know word in there, but they they learn to pare it down. And just and I think they did a great job with the old Henry story, which I really liked a lot, and uh, the Jack London one. You know, he went back in and he did some uh, heavy reworking, not reworking, but editing to keep, you know, the essence of Jack, London's, you know, story, but, you know, giving just enough for me so that I could still have enough time to tell the visuals, you know. Because it is that mix of the story, which is the words, and the visuals, you know, so, and Tom's really good at, at organizing all that stuff. Now, I know some of the other people you work with might have edited it all down themselves and done that, but when I work with them, Tom has always given me really good scripts. Now, Will, while we were breaking in between the interviews, someone brought up and brought some comics, and every comic I've seen you sign, for the most part so far, has been that old-school paper print. <laughs> now, we talked about this a little the other day, but as far as paper and glossy, and so much of your work is on that old-school paper, which, which, which do you prefer and why? I like them both. I mean, um, you know, I mean, like what really has happened is that most of them, the majority of my work, yeah, was in what you classify as the old school 
paper because when the image comics took off and all the high-end, you know, coloring and all that was right at the end of when I kind of pushed into doing book covers and doing some different things. Now with the new new strip that I just showed you that I'm working on, um, I'm doing the coloring on the computer and everything else and with all the book covers and that, I'm coloring on the computer. So the computer has been an incredible tool that has really changed how we can color and produce that finished work. So yeah, it's an amazing tool. And the last question I had for you, because we're wrapping up Comic-Con day two, is you have a background in education of comics for the most part, right? You, 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 I, you I taught have, some classes. Yeah, I, I've taught for a number of years, and at one point a bunch of students were in the comic book field working, and a bunch of them were working in the gaming industry, and a bunch of them are working in the video game industry. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of talented people come through. I taught at Northern Illinois University for like 20 years. I taught at um, Madison Area Technical College for five and a half, almost six years. I taught at uh, the Art Institute up in Houston for the last couple of years, or last couple, four quarters, excuse me. So that'd be a year roughly. And um, I've been really lucky to uh, have some good talented kids that I've been able to you know, help get into the industry with what I can do. Um, when I was working in Northern, Dungeons and Dragons TSR was just up in Wisconsin and I could actually just drive kids' work right up there and walk into the art director and go, here you go. But again, it was a smaller, you know, everything was yeah. smaller then. Now, I mean, Wizards is now, um, not Wizards, it's part of Watsy. Excuse me, Wizards of the Coast bought TSR and moved everybody out to Seattle. You know, so, and I, and I don't think it's quite as... It was a little bit more friendly because, I mean, it was great for me when I was working at uh, TSR because I used to drive my assignments up and I'd spend, go out to lunch with people like Jeff Easley, Larry Elmore, you know, Jeff Butler, Keith Parkinson, Brom when he first started, Todd Lockwood, um, God, Alan, um, and Alan, I'm sorry, Pollock, Alan Pollock, Tony Dietrich Lizzie uh, was doing a lot of work at the beginning there too. I mean, it was an incredible hotbed of creative people that you could run into and rub elbows with. And um, so, but I don't think it doesn't happen quite as much anymore. Well, well, the, the, the reason I'm asking is because I've actually been given the opportunity to start a, an after-school program once once a week or whatever uh, comic book club for middle schoolers mm -hmm. uh, because of my background in podcasting and you know coming and meeting creators and stuff like that. How big of a fan I am. Well, the problem I'm having is where do I start? Like, do I want to teach them about comics? Do I get hope that they have some creative talent of their own and have them help them make their own comic? Do I have them do what I'm doing? Podcasting and interviewing people? Like, but it, let's, let's, let's say curriculum. Where wow. would you, where would you take kids about the 10 to, 10 to 13 year old right. range? Well, see, because my whole experience that I'm teaching college. Well, see, that's what that's, I'm saying. That's a great deal. It's, it's a challenge for you and for me. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the one thing is, you know, I mean, when you, you talk to comics, to me, you're talking about something, you know, I kind of lump everything together. So you've got the Sunday paper, which has got the, you know, three-panel strip, dun-dun-dun, you know, in and out kind of joke. You've got the whole idea now what, you know, with the Green Lantern and everything else that we're doing, where it's, a, it's you know, story arcs can be six issues, if not longer. Right. Then you have characters and that, but it still all goes back to really simple things. 
you got to develop a character, you got to develop a universe, you know. Is it humorous? Is it dark? Is it this? Is it that? Is it science fiction? Is it western? Is it, you know, where's your genre? Do you want to lump genres together? Do you not want to lump genres together? Um, and the reason I said that is I worked with uh, Joe Lansdale on a project for DC called Blood and Shadows. And we got together and we, we really started talking about what we both like. Well, we both like film noir. We both like westerns. We both like horror movies. And we both like science fiction movies. So we kind of went, huh. So we did the series. The series starts out in 1940, so it's a film noir. Yeah. And then one of the characters, you would go back to meet him, and that goes back to the 1860s, so we get into the Civil War, at the end of the Civil War. Right. Then we zoom into the far future, and uh, we get to see what the future looks like. Is a dark, ruddy kind of future. And the horror element is a character that is Joe's, which is the god of the razor. That's just one evil son of a gun. And that sort of carries the whole thing through. Right. So it's, it's all these people meeting the god of the razor, the immortal evil, okay. and all this time frame. So again, it's, it's like it just depends on, you know, what you want to do. I mean, what some kids might be really good at is coming up with stories. What some kids might be really good at is coming up with different kinds of characters. And what some kids might be is doing different things. So, you know, sometimes it's just uh, sitting down and... You know, what I did with a lot of the college kids, where I said, if you want to get into comics, okay, think about where you want to go. If you want to go to Marvel, you know, you, you, you can't go in there. And then I was always joking and say, you don't go, you know, to McDonald's and show them, you know, pictures of uh, dinosaurs chewing on trees. That's not what they want to see. They want to see Ronald McDonald. They want to see Hamburglar. They want to see that kind of humor. And vice versa, you don't go to a comic book company and, you know, show them Robert McDonald. So you need to think about where you want to go. So if the kid is, wants to, you know, the kid is, excuse me, would like to do a little short strip, like, you know, whatever they like, what they read in the paper, whether it's, you know, I'm going to just go to classics, you know, Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes, it's that kind of a thing. If they're thinking in terms of Superman in a comic book, well, then that's, you know, the big tall format and yeah. all that. So you could show them simply, you know, here's a daily strip, here's a comic book, here's comes some different things, you know, here's one that's a western, here's one that's this, here's one that, here's one that mixes this all up. You know, what do you want to do as a creative person, and where would you go with your comic strip? You know, make sure to expand their horizons, because at that age they're probably thinking comic book superhero, not comic book romance, comic book you know, western, comic book, you know, anything. Well, I mean, look, look at what's out there. I mean, when you see, you look at Art Spiegelman and Mouse, and okay. you've got uh, Chris Ware and Acme. I mean, there's just tons of stuff that's being done. And, you know, I mean, like even when you think of Fritz the Cat from Chrome being made into a movie, and where all these different kinds of genres are out there. And now I think, you know, I mean, you, you've seen it, and I've seen it just walking around here. The range is, is pretty incredible of what you're seeing and, and you know people are having fun you know working on stuff that they want to do and so I mean if I have to give a simple answer like that I don't want to go into the no. business of being there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so and thank you for taking the time out to talk to the show Lantern Cast by the way <laughs> in case you forgot because it's been so long <laughs> since I said the name <laughs> but uh, anything you want to promote before we go off the air so to speak Promote. I mean, self-promotion? Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know. Well, I'm working on a new series called Thunder Hunters that I'm really excited about. 
and it's doing what I'm talking about there. It's mixing my genres, which are dinosaurs, samurai warriors, science fiction, and uh, the early turn of the century kind of stuff, which I love deeply. Uh, and trying to get another sketchbook done and get it out and get that going. So, yeah, and just keep working on things. But, um, yeah, okay, okay. Big plug then, right? Big plug. GrazingDinosaurPress.com. Okay. That's the website. You get to see my work. Yeah. You get to see my wife's work, who's a talented artist also. Does very beautiful, whimsical stuff. She's a great painter. And then, you know, the joke was uh, when we lived in uh, Illinois, I was always in the basement working, and she worked upstairs. So you need the cute fuzzies. You went upstairs. You need the zombies. You go in the basement. <laughs> All in the same house. <laughs> and you've got this, right? I, I should. Okay. All right. So thank you, Mark, for taking well, time you. out to talk to thank us. Thank you for chatting. No problem. All right. Okay, and we're back. And like, I, I love this interview. And the the thing that I want to go right into is his suggestions for your, you know, course curriculum idea for the, 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 the kids. Okay, okay, I got it. He, Go ahead. He, like, he nailed it. Like, he gave you, like, the perfect idea. And as soon as he said it, I said to myself, it's like, oh, my God, that's absolutely brilliant. It's like, you're wondering, what do you focus on? And he's telling you, well, that's the idea. Like, you have to introduce them to the different aspects to figure out what they themselves should be focusing on. Right. I, I mean, like, it's it's so simple, but so brilliant. Um, you know, like, if you do, uh, you do, like, a week where you give them an introduction to genres, um, and you know, and styles and, you know, a, a, a week to introduce them to penciling and a week to introduce them to scripting, then they can each figure out, you know, what kind of thing they want to pursue and what aspect of that they wish to go after. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, and then like by the end each of them, it's like, okay, well, if you excel and really love writing scripts, then your final project is write a script for a comic. You know, and, like, right there, it's like you, you set it up, like, the, the course would be tailored to each kid's strengths. <sighs> Man. I, I, that, that, was, that was really cool. I mean, like, the rest of the interview was, was fantastic as well. Like, the, also, the, the thing with the classics that he, that he was, uh, you know, he was artist on. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, graphic classics. The graphic classics, like I, I would like to track some of these down. Um, and the other thing that he was talking about with like the with the knife god. Okay. Um, I don't know what that. I I I miss the uh, the name of that comic, but uh, is that the the title of it, the knife god, or? I believe so. But, I mean, like, you know, oh, he's he, he does a comic that has, like, you know, the noir aspect, the, you know, the the western aspect, the futuristic aspect. I, I mean, that, that sounds cool. Like, I'd like to seek that out. That sounds like something that I would like to read. So. That, he's, he's, a, he's a fun guy to talk to. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it's like, <laughs> he's like, he's t- saying how he doesn't have any stories, and yet he's still like peppering it with stories and names and stuff like that. That was good. No, oh, he names drop. He name drops like nobody's business. <laughs> any 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 name like, drops like you know like legends. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, if you get, it's funny. I mean, it's funny because I'm I'm sitting next to this guy, and yeah, you're right. He's he's got all this all this incredible stuff, you know, and and, and backstory. And a few years down the line, you know, we'll remember, you know, what Mark Nelson could could have contributed, and who knows what he's done. Or may do in the future that could like become, you know, one of the legends. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then he's name dropping like nobody's business. And I'm just like, I'm in awe of how you can even have talked five se- seconds with these people, let alone being sitting next to a first a person who talks to them for a little while. I can hear <laughs> the story secondhand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the way that he you know he's he's talking about it, it's like you know he got to talk to uh, Kevin O'Neill on the phone, <laughs> and he's in awe because it was one of his heroes. I that that was good. That, that was that was a definitely a fun interview. Okay, um, and then and what and well and Mark and Mark also very very kind uh, gave me a print of some of his art as well. So oh, what what did you uh, get from him? I got a um, a print of basically it's underwater. This crazy kind of underwater scene of this girl like di- uh, scuba diving in her bikini, and the creature of the black lagoon is like crawling up over the ledge just above her. That's it's pretty cool. That's cool. See if you can find yeah. a link to that one to send me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try and find something. I, but I saw he, I saw some of his illustrations for uh, uh, Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'm really, really curious about the O. Henry story because I love O. Henry, and you know, to see that illustrated would be awesome. Um, so what else did you like about that interview? Because I, I, when you said it was your favorite, I'm like, oh, okay, why? <laughs> it just, I don't know. It was just, it, it, it flowed really well. Um, he was very interesting. It just, it, it's, it was interesting to hear his perspective of things, like the San Diego Comic Con. Um, you know how that had changed, and it's just, you know, him. It's it, just his perspective. I don't know. For some reason, I just, I really, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, these people are, well, they're known to us as Green Lantern fans, as Inkers. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's fascinating to kind of, like, shine a light on them and see. It's like, oh, it's like, okay, so you inked here for, like, you know, five minutes you know, but your your body of work, you know, on other things is like immense, and it's not just inking. You know, the same thing with Tom Newen. You know, like obviously he's been inking for a lot longer, and you know he's he's very good at it. But some of the other things that I had not been familiar with, like now that I am familiar with, it's like 
I, I mean, in a way, it's almost like you almost not that you feel bad, but you know, you're happy that they're inking, but it's like you know, you have this this other you know amazing you know gift you know that you would love to see you know be used as well i mean it was used it was used you know in aliens and stuff like that but as far as green lantern fans go if you're if your exposure to it is limited to green lantern yeah expand your mind people this <laughs> these people have, have contributed a lot more than you think well yeah that that and that's what i mean like you know we our our knowledge of them is is very small in scope but uh you know when when you when you compare it i mean like with tom like he doesn't i i don't i don't think he's done that that many uh you know pencil jobs he was even he was saying it's like it's mostly like pinups and you know small stuff here and there a couple of pages you know when they need him to to fill in here and there um mm-hmm. you know so it, you know he's he's producing tons of artwork on his own. You know, he's producing his, his portfolio and things for the sketchbook and commissions and things of that nature. But, you know, to see him on a monthly book, um, you know, that would be very cool. Yeah. But as I say that, it's like, you know, it, it is, it would be said, you know, it, and it's a catch 22 because as much as I want to see his, his, his actual, his own pencils, it would be, you know, it would be hard to lose an anchor of his caliber. Right, and and just just let me see if I can. This will go up on the website. I wanted to buy this print so bad, um, but I didn't end up getting it. Um, I really wanted it. I was flipping through his book, and let me see if I can show you this. See what you think about this particular link. So, take a look at that and. When I was flipping through the pages, I was just, <laughs> I don't know, I was just, it was so detailed and beautiful. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, it's it's more lifelike and, I guess, flowing, but it, it still reminds me of the, the Pirate Girl comic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Curse, Curse Pirate Girl? Yeah, yeah, that one. Okay. In terms of you know detail, that 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 is fantastic. Just uh, like I was flipping through, and and all of his stuff is like this, right? And we'll post a link to the picture I just showed Jim in the uh, in the uh, the show notes or on the uh, feedback thread for the uh, episode. But just like I was flipping through all of his stuff, and it's so like detailed and shaded and perfect like this, but. I saw that particular image and I was like, I, I, I gotta have. Why don't I have money? I need, I need <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, the other thing that uh, that Mark had, had mentioned that I thought was pretty fascinating was that he said that a comic artist has to be able to draw anything, and. You know, I, I guess that's something that you don't really think about too often. Mm-hmm. You just you just take it for granted, really. 
but I mean, you know, it's 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 true. Like if you're a good artist, you know, you have to know how to draw anything. You have to, and like you know, granted, you can you know use references and stuff like that, but with the you know with the time schedule and especially now with uh, DC, you know, kicking down doors and taking names, you know. You you gotta you gotta know your stuff and you gotta be able to do it quick. Right. So that yeah that that's that's a, that's a very good interesting point. So we got one more interview. We got one more and then uh, just a couple of wrap up points. So awesome, nice and quick. <laughs> uh, the final interview is Mike Bullock, the writer for Lions, Tigers, and Bears. That is correct, sir. Now, what does this have to do with Green Lantern, Chad? It doesn't have a damn thing to do with Green Lantern, but it does have to do with the Lantern cast, because uh, a while back on the Larfleys Report, it was one of my indie picks, Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Well, okay. Then on... So I thought I'd follow up, you know? Good for you. Good for you, Chad. (laughs) Initiative. (laughs) So... (laughs) Brought to you by the Larflees Report, an interview by Chad with Mike Bullock. Hey guys, this is Chad. I'm here at day three, final day of Austin Comic Con, and I'm here with Mike Bullock. He's done work on plenty of things, the Phantom, uh, Savage Beauty, as I'm seeing here, and then, of course, we mentioned a while back on the Larflees Report, Lions, Tigers, and Bears. It was one of our uh, our indie picks. So, uh, how's your con going so far, Mike? It's been a lot of fun. How about you? Uh, so far, so good. Got a lot of uh, great, great free stuff and uh, interviews and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's been a it's been a real treat to come here. Um, obviously, the concept of lions, tigers, and bears is basically stuffed animal world come to life, like the protectors of children. So where did you come up with the, these kinds of ideas? Well, I started. I had a, a superhero group of four characters that had powers from the different cats. And I didn't really like it, and I couldn't really find a way to turn it and twist it so that it made a whole lot of sense or was worth really doing. So I shelved it, and my buddy Rob Schwager decided he was trying to launch a uh, uh, kind of an all-ages magazine at one point, and he asked me if I would write a story for it. So I went and I uh, uh, pulled out that old concept, and I kind of dusted it off, and I thought about how could I could make that so it was more kid-friendly and so forth. And that's when the idea of having the stuffed animals come to life kind of came to mind. So I just kind of took that ball and ran with it. So you said when the uh, the idea came to mind, it's it's one thing to have have superhero characters powered like by cats, and quite another to go the leap of stuffed animals come to life for the most. <laughs> How did you make that jump? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it just happened. Now, now the villains are also, um, I guess, in some regards, could be uh, considered lovable characters, uh, depending on, like, you know, if you saw the stuffed animals in a store. One kid's going to go one way, one kid's going to go. What, what does, what made you distinguish? Because, for instance, for me, all my life, my favorite animal's been a white tiger. That's why I picked up your book in the first place. I saw a white tiger. I was like, oh, I got to get that. I got to get that right now. I got to see what that's all about. But what what made you pick the characters you picked? Is there an inherent evil in your mind of a certain uh, animal or the way the character was going? Uh, no, I also love white tigers. I've always loved cats and big cats my whole life. So it made sense for me to use those as the archetypes for the, you know, not necessarily archetypes, but the, the models for the different stuffed animals. Uh, the monsters are all basically 
bits and pieces from other animals sewn together and, and you know other stuffed animals that have been torn apart and put back together again. So what I did when I created the beasties was I would take say you know the teeth of a shark and the claws of a rat and the body of an armadillo and those sorts of things. Just all different things that seem kind of fearsome and scary and kind of Frankenstein them together to make the beasties. Well, you see, and, and, and it's it's a very interesting concept, but the, the, the thing I'm uh, curious about is, with a, was particularly with an all-ages kind of book, some people find themselves trying too hard to, to figure out what a kid wants to read. Now, do you, do you, is, is, is there something in the two kid, the, the kid characters of you back when you were a kid, or how did you, how did you uh, find a way to talk to that audience, so to speak? Uh, actually, it's really weird. Joey is kind of what I imagined my own son would end up being like. And the reason it's really weird is we had a kid three years ago. Uh, he's a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy. And of all the stuffed animals he had to choose from, because we bought a bunch to look for samples to find a company to make stuffed animals for us, he picked a white tiger out of the batch and named him Aries. So he runs around with this little white tiger in his fist. He won't go anywhere without him. And he's a little blonde here, blue eye, but it's almost like life imitating art. And it's kind of weird, but it's crazy that it worked out that way. And and, and the art, um, you've done, you did the, if I'm not mistaken, you did the entire book yourself. No. Story? No, no, no. no okay, okay. I, I completely messed that up. So so story story itself. Now, the, the artist, I'm, here we go, I'm an idiot. Jack Lawrence. Now, for some of the smaller press books, obviously with image, it's not necessarily as small as it used, once used to be. How do you uh, work with your artists? It's, it's rare I get a chance to interview writers of, of a book. So when, you, when you're giving directions to your artists, how do you go about it? Uh, it depends on the artist. Um, Jack and I, it was a really awesome relationship. We would finish each other's sentences. I didn't really need to explain much. He knew what I wanted. Um, I knew what he was get, going for and the things that he liked to draw. It just it was one of those kind of once in a lifetime partnerships. Um, Jack was just absolutely amazing to work with. Uh, when he left in the middle of volume two, it was almost like trying to replace somebody who's just impossible to replace. Uh, thankfully, Paul Gutierrez came along and helped finish volume two. Then Michael Metcalf came along for volume three. But working with each one of them requires different levels of of description and different levels of communication prior to the actual script writing. So. And and when you pitch when you pitch the idea to Image, do they do they just come to you or for for just anything, just hoping for something, or did you pitch it to them? No, I got a meeting with Eric Larson on the floor of San Diego Comic Con. Okay. And I took him a pitch that had uh, eight pages of what was the first issue of Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Okay. I showed it to him. Eric stood there and he flipped through it and his. His face ran through a whole range of emotions from this is really cool to this really stinks to back and forth and told me he really liked stuff and he didn't like stuff and then I kind of was on pins and needles waiting for him to say something and he finally closed it and said this is really cool, I'll publish this. And that was the end of that. Just that easy, huh? Just, yeah. Well, the, the reason that's intriguing to me is because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably sure you hear this a lot, I'm trying to be a writer of some kind. Um, the problem, the problem I, I'm, I, seem to have myself is script writing. How do you, it's a whole, it's one thing to write a story with so much detail. It's a, uh, I was actually at a panel with Marv Wolfman the other day. He says it, and his quote was, it's, it's easy to write a lot. It's hard to write a little. And I was wondering, you know, for you as a writer, what's your background? Like, did you, did you come in as novels? Did you come in as comic books? Has it always been a passion? Did it just fall into your lap and, hey, I'm good at this? Because for me, personally, I wanted to be a paleontologist as a kid. 
and I started failing all my science classes, and I was like, probably shouldn't be a paleontologist. <laughs> and then I realized I was ace in essays. So, for you, how does how does how does this creative juice come? Well, I actually learned how to read with comic books when I was three. My older brother was really into Batman, and he had a bunch of the old DC 80-page giants. And he would sit there and read them. So I would sit down next to him and try and be like my older brother, except I couldn't read. So I would just make up stories as I flipped through. And he would get furious. Batman didn't say that. The Joker would never do that, that sort of thing. And he would get really mad at me because I didn't know what I was looking at. So he sat there over the course of the next few months and actually taught me how to read with the Batman comics. So to this day, it's just kind of ingrained in who I am. Um, I was probably 10, 12 years old when I realized that people actually wrote comic books. They didn't just magically appear in the stores. And from then on, I just always wanted to be a comic writer. I detoured for a little while. For about uh, 10, 11 years, I was a professional musician. When I got out of that, uh, I went and got a normal day job. I started driving my wife crazy because I had no creative outlets. Um, by then, we knew Rob Schwager and Ron Mars and some of the folks at CrossGen. And I just kind of took the ball and ran with it and got my foot in the door. Now, you mentioned all the old-school Batman stuff and the 80-page Giants. Who are your inspirations besides those individuals? Uh, for writing, Bill Manilow was huge on me. Um, Denny O'Neill, uh, Ron Mars, obviously. We've, um, actually, we've actually talked to Denny O'Neill on the show. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to meet him, but he's a, if you see him at a con, totally approachable. He's a, he's a fantastic guy. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never had the chance to meet him. I've met Mark Wolfman. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. Um, Never met Bill Manilow either, which, you know, his birthday was just the other day, so happy birthday to Bill. Yeah, um, and when I got into writing The Phantom, I really had to take a lot of time and study Lee Falk, and he's become a huge inspiration. It's really amazing the amount of comic books that came out in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that are, the plots are almost pulled straight out of old Phantom newspaper stories. Yeah. So it's amazing the amount of influence that Lee Falk had on the comic scene, even though he never actually wrote comic books. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And, and as far as, as a kid, your, your favorite story, your favorite story, your, your, the, the one that sticks out in your mind is going, if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be in comics today. That's a hard one. Um, I absolutely love Rom Space Night, and probably my favorite all-time comic run is, uh, um, uh, brain fart for a second, Doug Monch and Bill Sienkiewicz on Moon Knight. Ooh, okay, good call. To me, that is, I've still got all those comics. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much lost all my comics at one point, but I still had those ones, and I still had a couple of my ROMs. Oh, yeah. And I filled the ROM collection back in, and I've got those Moon Knights. I've now got the trades that, that Marvel re-released. Re yeah. Um, it's just, to me, that's just as awesome as it gets in, in between two covers. Well, I thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, you know, it's, it's out of our alley as far as Green Lantern stuff is concerned, but... But I saw this, I saw the white tiger, I was like, oh my god, I gotta pick this up, and then I picked up issues, and I was like, fantastic storyline, it's a unique idea, and I can't thank you enough for it. And um, while I have you, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to promote coming up? Oh, well, me and a bunch of other writers are working on uh, kind of a movement in writing called New Pulp, and it's basically taking all of the, the storytelling aspects of original pulp fiction from the old pulp magazines and creating new characters and creating new stories with the old characters. Uh, we have a new website called newpulpfiction.com. Uh, people can go there. There's columns every day. There's reviews of a lot of new pulp material. There's uh, links to all the publishers that are involved, most of the writers and artists that are involved. Uh, just a ton of really cool stuff. So, And a lot of it is what influenced uh, the comic scene in general. So. 
Um, if you would, if you didn't have the old pulp characters, you'd never had Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man. None of those would have happened if the guys before them weren't making old pulp stories. So. Well, I said I was done with questions, but you, but you mentioned a lot of pulp, and you obviously have a great appreciation for the older stuff. I talked to Mark Nelson the other day, uh, and I asked him the same question because he's steeped in the industry as well. I've been given the chance, personally, to uh, head up like a little comic book club after school for middle school students, just because of the background of podcasting I have, and I've been meeting creators and stuff like that. I appreciate the industry, so they offered me that chance. I have no idea where to start with these kids. Like, do I teach them about comics? Do I have them create their comics? But the problem I'm having is, what do you teach kids, 10 to 12, about comics? Like, do you teach them Gilcane and, you know, all, all this other stuff, you know? I mean, where do you, if you had a comic, if you were in my shoes, Comic Curriculum 101, where would you go? Well, the first thing I would do is I would find out what they know and what they like and what they're really into. Um, and then try and tailor it to that. You know, you might run into a bunch of kids, they don't really care about superheroes, they just want to read science fiction or something like that. So then maybe I'd go dig up, you know, Star Slayer or Legion of Superheroes or some of the more outer space sort of things. Um, you know, really just find out what it is that they're, they're really get excited about. Or, or find some parallels in modern day, you know, are they into, you know, say The Incredibles or, you know, what kind of modern you know, mediums or, or genres and so forth are they into? What modern properties do they love? And then go back and find the things that influence those because everything's built on something, you know? You know, you can, you know, you can draw so much of it back to Zorro and you can take Zorro and so forth and draw all that back into the ancient Greek legends and stories. Yeah, yeah, and it, it all comes from something. So find out what they're really into right now and then show them where that came from. And I think it kind of would open their eyes and make them go, wow, there's a whole lot more to this than I thought there was, and help their, their existing appreciation deepen, and then use that to segue into check out all these cool comics. So, that's as good an answer I've gotten all weekend. So <laughs> I, I even asked Marv Wolfman the same question. He gave, you gave me a better answer than Wolfman did. So, wow. Well, there you go. The only thing in my life I've ever done better than Marv Wolfman, so <laughs> take note of that. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time out to talk to us, and uh, I'll hit you up with a link as soon as the, the show airs. Cool. Thanks, man. This one was tough. <laughs> not, not that he's, not, you know, I mean, like he said, he's very interesting. Um, it's just that, for me personally, like, I don't have a lot of interest in this genre. I'll say. Yeah. I thought you meant that on my interview quality, which I agree with you. I didn't really know what I was getting into. You know what I mean? I mean. Yeah, like, I suppose you could have tried to come up with better questions. Yeah. But, I mean, and the, the one thing that I did really, really like was his uh, story about, uh, with Eric Larson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that aspect is cool and, you know, and interesting from, you know, kind of behind the curtain aspect. Um, you have read the comic. How is it? It is phenomenal. Phenomenal. I love it. It's one of, I mean, I've read a good chunk of, I, I guess, uh, kids' books, like comic books. I've read, um, one of my favorites, obviously, would be uh, Thor, the Mighty Avenger, uh, an eight-issue mini that went on for a little while. That was fantastic. And a couple other things here and there. But uh, as far as comic kids related books uh which i've been reading more of because of that comic club um it's it's very good 
it's it's a unique concept and it's it flows very nicely. Now, it's stuffed animals that come to life, basically. Correct. Essentially, yeah. Right. Essentially, yes. So it's like if somebody's going to compare this to Toy Story. Well, it, the 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 comparison has actually been kind of made. It's basically like. Um, uh, and, and, and this quote is even out there. It's basically Toy Story meets Monsters, Inc. Okay. I mean, there's a whole nother world that, like a stuffed animal world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, that's where these, uh, this, uh, it's a white tiger, a regular tiger, like Siberian tiger, uh, a lion, and a panther. That's where they, they come from, basically. Okay. These These stuffed animals are essentially... I guess it's hard to play, explain. Like, like, like channeling these, these, um, these, uh, whatever. You know what I mean? You know, these spirits or, or whatever. The the es- es- essence. Avatars. Yeah, basically. Okay. Basically. <laughs> well, thank you for selling that to me. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is very good. And and Mike, Mike was is also very very friendly to me. Um, you know, anybody I talk to at the con for any amount of time, uh, was save save one person was just fantastic. Oh, you know? save one person. I don't even remember their name, but it was some small press group of people who basically saw my press pass around my wrist and just. You know, tried to entice me to come to their table every time I walked by, and um, you know, the second I, you know, I was, if someone tried to get me to come up to the table, I would go up to the table. But the second I came up to the table, you know, the guy was, you know, wouldn't look me in the eye. I was kind of looking around, like, you know, I'm just trying to sell my book here, dude. You know, so like there, there are people who are on their hustle, and this guy is best, you know, like Sean puts it on their hustle, trying to get stuff done, but. Then there are people who are on it to a point, and then it just this like you know, come on, bro, help me out, you know, do what you got to do, instead of just really trying to sell you their book, you know. Right. So, and I, I don't remember the name, so I, I wouldn't call them out anyways. But <laughs> oh man, at least not on air. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, no, Mike. Mike sounds great. I mean. um, Just, I mean, for me personally, the uh, like my 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 indie picks have been few and far between. Um, well, he's he's done a lot of work on like the Phantom and other books. It's just I we focused on on lions, tigers, and bears because I had mentioned it in the Larfleys report, and and that's the reason I got the interview. I mean, I, if if we are on another. Uh, another type of show, I guess, or if we had like a special installment where we just talked about regular comics instead of just Green Lantern related stuff, <laughs> then I probably would have branched branched out and you know talked about some of the other things. But because you know the Lantern cast and we've actually talked about, well, I've talked about this book before. I just figured you know three interviews are better than two. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, and and Mike's Mike's a Mike's also you know a great guy and and you know. Tom, uh, Tom gave me a print and you know did a sketch for me and was kind and and same with same with uh, Mark he you know minus minus the sketch but it's uh, 
but uh, Mike actually gave me a copy of his book, um, Timothy and the Transgalactic Towel. Really? It's yeah, it's a it's a book basically. Um, uh, and I read it uh, the other day. It's um, art style is somewhat similar to Lions, Tigers, and Bears. And I and I asked him about it when I was flipping through it at the table. He likes to keep his kids related stuff kind of an anime style because he feels like that's what the kids relate to more. Yeah. Um, and you know he's right in doing so. But um, basically the story is this kid. He's a daydreamer. Um, <laughs> it, it, to basically, you know, remember Calvin and Hobbes and, and just all the crazy adventures Calvin would get into in his own mind. It's basically this kid just minus the attitude. Um, and his dad, uh, his mom, I guess, died, and his dad, you know, goes and, and does some work, and he's away all the time, and eventually starts getting to Timothy. Um, his dad brings him back this beach towel, and he gets all upset because he thought it was going to be a cool gift, and it turns out. <laughs> Turn, turns out this towel is like some kind of magic, basically magic space carpet, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it it takes him on this adventure, um, basically, uh, and it, it it's it's really cool. It, it takes him on this adventure that basically, inadvertently, Timothy teaches a lesson to himself about understanding why his dad has to go out and work. <laughs> And has to do the things he has to do. What, what is, uh, who puts that out? Um, hold on one second. Let me put my earphones down. I have it around in the other room. Okay. okay. Uh, the book, and this is, this isn't necessary. this isn't a, uh, uh, an issue. This is, this is actually like a kind of, it's like a trade, but it's like lengthwise. You remember like the old school Garfield books used to be bound? Uh, yeah, like the, lo- like long. Yes, very, that's, very that's wide, what, rather. Yes, this is this is that's what this is, and it's uh, it's put out by Image. Is this Image Comics? Is this like off the the, what, the the Shadow Line? Silver Line. The Silver Line, yeah. yeah. Silver Line Books, Image Comics, and this thing retails for seventeen bucks, and and uh, Mike gave it to me for free. Uh, apparently this thing didn't get the recognition it deserves. And, you know, when, whenever an artist, you know, regardless, you know, putting, putting out of, out of your mind how good of a guy Mike was, if you're in the situation I was in and someone hands you something and says, I don't think this got the recognition it deserved, will you please pimp it? You know, you kind of feel obligated. Uh, it, it, part of you kind of feels like, uh, all right, maybe it didn't deserve it, dude, you know? Uh, but, but when you, when I got this in my hand and I, the second I started flipping through it, I, I thought it was, I thought it was simple. I thought it was well done. And then when I started reading it, I, I, I agreed with him, you know, I agreed with him. This thing didn't get the recognition it probably deserves. So yeah, temp, I mean, it's a fantastic book. I mean, definitely, you know, I would say ages 10 and under or so. You know, I don't know necessarily how the kids think nowadays. I feel old saying that sentence in the first place. Um, but, you know, I, I would say about 10 and under would, would definitely enjoy this. I, uh, I'm looking at a, uh, an interview. It's got a few um, images. It's got the cover. It's got a page where, like, he's looking at, like, a shooting star, 
and he's holding, I guess, the towel. Mm-hmm. It is very reminiscent of uh, the was it the Little Prince? Yes. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. I'm, I'm definitely curious about this now. The, you know, in, in fact, Timothy and the transgalactic towel, I'll tell you, like, the first thing, as soon as you said that to me, the first thing that this thing evoked. Hitchhiker's Guide? Yes. <laughs> I'd made the same reference to Michael when I was at his table. I was like, Timothy and the transgalactic towel. I mean, you said space and towel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm a huge Hitchhiker fan, so. Well, it's, it's cool because I love the movie most, I mean, one, because the movie's fantastic. It is. And two, because I love Zoe Deschanel. Yes. <laughs> but um, but I just bought the, the complete collection of books in a single volume yes. a while back yeah. for half price. It was like it was like ten bucks. So I got the I got the whole thing, I just started reading it. I think it it's a great book. It's so good. <laughs> it's so it's brilliant. But uh yeah. It, it, would you say that this is uh, the similar in tone in any way whatsoever? Um, you know what? It's it's funny. Is as far as the movie is concerned, one of the characters in here reminds me of Zaphod. Okay. What like uh, basically one of these kid, one of this uh, guys, this little kid, space heroes, is like a captain aboard a ship, and he's like a full of himself idiot moron who thinks he's in charge of everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which is basically Zaphod in the movie. Yes, so. I, I am I am very, very intrigued by this. <laughs> oh, it's it's a great book and I I'm super flattered he gave it to me for free. You know? Yeah, that's that's awesome. Okay. So we got the interviews out of the way and by the way, thank you Tom, thank you Mark, and thank you Mike. Um, you know, taking the time to, to talk to this guy, Chad. Because <laughs> <laughs> these guys on the show, well, Dan's not here, but they know how difficult it is to talk to me. <laughs> We've had plenty of experience with that. <laughs> um, and, and Chad, I, I really, really good job. Um, I, I, I only noticed one mistake, and that was uh, okay. with Mark. <laughs> okay. The Nexus yes, stuff? Yes, the Nexus stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like, the rest of that interview was so good. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll gladly overlook that. Okay. So, 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 the rest of the con, you know, what's, uh, what was some highlights? Um, well, one of them, I, I went to a couple of panels. Um, I went to, the Marv Wolfman panel. Okay. And listen, you know, I recorded that just for my own edification, just so I could listen to it and see if one of the things he said. And one of the things he said really remember when um we were doing the Denny O'Neill interview and Denny told us that I who was it, Miller? Was it Frank Miller, I believe, or or he said he was talking to someone who had done Daredevil and Denny was on Daredevil and they were having lunch, and, and he said, I can't, I'm going to either have to stop having lunch with you or stop reading Daredevil. Could, remember that? I, I, I do vaguely remember that. Well, something Marv said at the panel echoes what Denny says. Apparently, Marv, after he's done with a book, 
or done with a character refuses to read that character again. Okay. And and it's not because he thinks the the person who's working on the group or the character is doing a bad job. Just Marv thinks, you know, I've done all I can with these characters, and if I read them, you know, because I got a chance to write them, I wrote them as I see the character. And regardless of whether the the uh, the character's outcome is good or bad, that's not the way I see the character. And and along the same lines, he was thinking, he was saying about um, he's had writers come up to him and ask him about you know certain certain writing techniques with certain characters, and and Marv's flat out always says, um, do what you want to do, because if you if you don't then it's not going to succeed or you're not going to be pleased with it because a lot of the, a lot of things that happened where people were asking him about the teen Titans. And especially, you know, one of the questions right out of the gate was about Starfire. And he, he didn't comment on it because he says, I honestly, I've heard about the controversy. I just, I will not read it. You know what I mean? Right. So I was one, I thought that was interesting. It's like all these people that we consider legends in the industry, kind of follow the same the same ideals and code basically you know they write the stories they feel are right for them and then once they're done they move on and they don't go back now the only the only thing that i would say to that effect which i mean i i understand it for the most part i definitely do understand it but and especially you know after some time Marv Marv Wolfman was writing Teen Titans what like in the early eighties late seventies. Uh, hold on, I have some Teen Titans issues right in front of me. Um, this one says copyright nineteen eighty two. Right. So, what you have to realize is that when he was writing those comics, you had kids that were reading them and like they ate it up. And they absorbed it, and that became their Teen Titans. Now, here we are, like, what are we at, 20, 30 years later? Almost 30 years later, these people have grown up, these kids have grown up, and a lot of them now are writing comics of their own. So, while granted, you know, it's it's definitely not the case with... Uh, you know, like with, with the reboot and everything like that. But before the reboot, you know, I would say that there would be a chance that, you know, you would have a writer that was trying to evoke, you know, like a writer from 30 years ago. Because that's the character, you know, that's the, the, the character, the team dynamic that they grew up with. So that particular writer's, you know, vision for the characters is passed down to those readers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I could see that. But, you know, Marv was talking about how in that situation, you would be more inclined to build upon that than... Uh, I mean, he, he told me, he, he told the, the, the panel that he just basically tries not to get himself into that situation. You know, he, he respects the material that came before and you know where the characters are at in there and the moment he takes over the book or whatever but he 
he builds off of that and it to some degree, but makes it his own. You know, and I think, you know, would can you can you think of any examples off the top of your head where someone was clearly doing, you know, just as an example, whoever's doing Teen Titans now is clearly evoking Marv Wolfman and it succeeds. You know, when someone just is clearly mimicking someone else's style and it does gangbusters. Um, I I would say um, the only the only thing that really came to mind would probably be Darwin Cook's run of the Spirit. Well, I never read that, so I don't. I, I mean, like his run was absolutely phenomenal. Like it lasted, I would say, roughly twelve issues. I think I want to say, and then mm-hmm. like he left, you know, gone, never to be heard from again on that series. And you know, the, the series was okay for a couple of issues after that, but I mean, like the quality just dropped off like one hundred percent because Darwin Cook was giving, you know, he was doing a comic that he, I think, firmly believed was, like, something that um, Will Eisner would have would have appreciated had he, you know, been alive to read it. Right. And it's, you know, it's not so much that I, I, I believe that Marv is infallible when it comes to his commentary, you know, Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but it just, I brought it up because it so closely echoed something Denny had said, you know, not a few months ago. So, I just, I just thought that was intriguing. Yeah, no, um, definitely. It's, it's an interesting point, and it's, it's completely valid because it's his opinion. Right, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of upset I didn't bring my copy of Crisis to get him to sign, but whatever. <laughs> Man, I have the, uh, I have the absolute vo- volume of that. Uh-huh. That would be pretty cool to get him signed that. Well, I, I got him to sign a few issues of Teen Titans. Basically, the only ones I have are the is the uh, the Starfire Tales of the Teen Titans thing. Yeah, the it focused on her origin, and then there was a Starfire like three or four uh, five issue little storyline where she went back to her home planet and got married or something. <laughs> but I was flipping as I was flipping through that. It was funny because there are ads for Crisis in there. um the other panel i went to was with hayden panettere okay the cheerleader from heroes if you guys don't know the name um and among other things but it was funny because we're i I have the press pass so i'm standing along the side wall and i hear this knocking because the the the, uh, podium and the chairs and all this stuff is set up right up against this wall and there's exit doors on either side and I hear this knocking, and nobody's getting up. And some people in the front row look at me, and I guess they thought I was part of the crew or something because I'm standing along the side wall instead of sitting down with everybody else, and everybody near me has got cameras and stuff. So they're looking at me, and, like, you know, these people waiting for her to talk are pointing at me, like, open the door or something. So I go and open the door, and this this volunteer woman uh, for Wizard World goes, oh, actually, can you open the other door? So I go to the other side, and I don't know what the hell's happening. And I open the door, and there's Hayden, like, two feet from me. Yeah. Girl comes up to, like, my chin, so I don't know what the hell's happening. And she goes, oh, thank God somebody opened the door and gave me, like, a quick hug. <laughs> I didn't get it. 
I didn't get a picture with this girl. I didn't get a sign get get her to sign an autograph or anything. I don't have any witnesses that can tell you that this actually happened. But to me, that's all I needed. <laughs> a hug from Hayden. That's all I needed. <laughs> oh man. And, and the first thing that crossed my mind isn't, oh my God, Hayden's giving me a hug. The first thing that crossed my mind, and I kid you not, is I'm in Texas. Who the fuck is not opening the door for a girl? <laughs> like, who, who's here? In, like, who, who, like half this, this room of about 500 plus people is hearing this door knock and no one's getting off their ass to answer the door. <laughs> oh, man. Kind of lazy Texan assholes. <laughs> well, you did it. You got a hug out of it. I know, right? <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. And it, what was even funnier is the moderator never even showed up to the panel. So she's sitting up on the table. She's sitting by the table next to the podium. Like, so is the moderator coming or, you know, what? So they just throw they threw out the, immediately threw it to questions. And that's all the entire panel was, just this long question-and-answer session. Anything uh, interesting? Um, the only thing I was really interested in is, you know, is Heroes is Heroes going to go the Firefly route and have, like, a made-for-TV kind of movie that wraps up the storyline? And she said it might be difficult to get everyone back together. I don't know why, um, but she did say something along the lines of it would be interesting if it happened a few years from now. Um, like instead of like back to back, but like kind of caught up after the fact. Okay. First, um, Firefly didn't have a TV movie that wrapped it all up. I, I was, I, I only, the only time I ever heard of Firefly was after the fact when both the season and the movie were on DVD. So I don't know. Yeah. Serenity was definitely in the movies. Okay. Um, and two, um, I guess if they were to do a movie like that, Biggest issue would be Zachary Quinto, um, was Siler, I believe his name was. Yeah, Siler. Yeah, um, who's right now he's on American Horror Story, and I think well he's also Spock. Right. So. And they are doing a second Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, and that that'll start I think within the next year or so. Um, it was it was interesting. She explained her dynamic with with uh, Zach. And she said that they had a weird, weird relationship on on set because every scene she ever had with him, she was like either being frozen or her head was being cut off or, you know, so every scene she ever had with him, he was he was like super hilarious, <laughs> like just just funny as crap. And she 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 had said at one point that she, you know she looked around at all the, the cast of characters who were, who were on the show and everybody was so funny. And she goes, guys, we should be in like a comedy, not a drama because y'all are so funny. <laughs> so apparently she had a lot of fun on set. So oh, that's cool. <sighs> and I got contact information from Greg Horn and Tyler Kirkham. Tyler's super backed up with stuff. Um, so he wasn't able to get, um, get with me and do a, you know, an on-air thing, but hopefully we'll have him down the line. And he actually said he might listen to the show. Um, not necessarily this episode, but he says he likes to have background, not necessarily music, but, you know, talk shows and that kind of stuff while he's doing art. So, uh, you know, once this episode goes out, I'll, I'll email him. He, and he specifically said he wanted to listen after I told him about, we interviewed Denny O'Neill. 
So I'll email him with that link and see if he listens and see what he says about the show. And if he gets back with us, I'll tell you guys all about it. But um, I did talk to him as I was flipping through some of the stuff, and I kind of remembered some of the things he told me. Um, you know, I don't want to go too in-depth with all of it because, you know, I don't know how much was just him talking and, you know, how much I'm allowed to say. But so so I just jotted down a couple of things I think are okay to say. So just uh, hitting a couple of the points. <laughs> for those of you who remember our uh, laying into him for Arkillo's tongue still being attached to him very obviously during the Weaponer storyline. Okay. Tyler is well aware he screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> and. And he faults uh, both the editor and he blames the fact that he was new on the on the book at the time. So basically, he's blaming him. He's giving himself part of the blame, but then he's like, you know, well, why didn't the editor catch that? So, right. so I mean, and and we we did say that when we were covering those stories. You know, you had mentioned about you know this is it's the editor's fault too. So yeah, yeah. And speaking of Arkillo, the second point is. Uh, according to Tyler, something of involving Arkillo and his tongue will come into play during issue three or four of the New Guardians storyline. That is not necessarily pivotal to the story, but very interesting. So his tongue is going to become a Red Lantern? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming it has something to do with, like, uh, an issue... Was it, No, it was two. In issue two, when Arkillo is, like, talking through his ring to Kyle, and then it says, you know, negate previous statement or something like that. Remember that? Um, Disregard previous statement or something like that? Vaguely. Well, I'm wondering if it has something to do with that. But So keep your eye out for Arkillo in the next uh, issue or two of New Guardians. Huh. Um, you know, the, uh, one thing, the one thing that I wonder is... I never really thought about it, but if you don't have a tongue, how do you say the oath? I wonder if it's more of an ideal thing. Like, you know, you, you're, you're feeling it in your heart, or... I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, like, the same can be said of a sentient math equation. <laughs> or a cat that can't talk except through the ring. There you go. Yeah, that's right, Dan. Rage Kitty is a fluke. He shouldn't be able to charge his ring. <laughs> uh, um, anything else? Uh, I mentioned to Tyler that I was impressed, uh, and I would mentioned it when we were reviewing the number twos, with the way he draws the energy coming off the rings, Yeah. how they each have a different look to them like they're supposed to. And, you know, in, along the same lines of Arkillo's tongue, he says he's really been working on, you know, keeping it true to previous storylines. So, so you know, keep keep a lookout for subtle stuff like that in New Guardians. So there's that. That's cool. And, and the thing I was talking to Jim about earlier, in Green Lantern Core 53, I think? Is that the issue? 58? I, Something like that. Oh, I already forgot. Uh, when basically the whole the cover where Sinestro and Kyle are flying at each other during the Weaponer storyline. Fifty four. Fifty four. There you go. Uh, when they're fighting each other, and the same page where um, Sinestro's ring says "fisticuffs enabled." <laughs> uh, when Sinestro touches down on the ground, 
right behind him, there's some dude in an almost kind of mock Superman outfit that says JJ on it. Because Dan, or Jim is so, you know, likes to point out stuff in the background, I found this little nugget of information I thought I'd share it with y'all. That guy is actually a guy named Jeff, and he does this website called uh, DrawMeIn.com, where he basically gets these various artists to draw him into the background of their comic for an issue. So that, that that's where that guy comes from. Just just random guy, Tom, likes happened to like the Tyler's style, got in contact with him, and said, hey, will you put me in this story? And, and Tyler goes, oh, I got the perfect scene for you to be in, <laughs> which is the background of this Halloween parade. And that's the story behind the guy in with the J.J. superhero costume. That's so awesome. <laughs> and last but not least, apparently, I don't know if this was news or not, DC switched the editor on the new Guardians book before the first issue came out. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. This was just before the issue came out? Mm, no, just before the it was time to get deadlines, you know, in place and keep going. Okay. Like, so... DC switched the editor of the New Guardians book, and the editor wanted to take the book in a different direction, and while they were debating everything tyler basically said you know guys if you want me want us to meet the september deadline so i can get this done for you we, we need to work this out so i don't I don't, I, I don't know if the story we're getting now was what was originally planned or what this new editor the new direction the new editor wanted to take it in i mean i don't know hmm. but but apparently I didn't, I didn't i didn't hear about this because I guess it didn't really matter to hear about it because it happened before even the first issue, you know, went to deadline. But apparently the editor was switched. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too. I mean, I, that's the only one of those little nuggets of information I got from Tyler. I'm not quite sure if it was okay I shared or not, but it's not like he bad mouthed bad mouthed anybody. So yeah. Well, okay. so there is that. This guy from Draw Me In was in the first issue of the new Ghostbusters series. Mm -hmm. I am freaking jealous. That is like, God, man. <laughs> Why didn't you think of that? Why didn't I think of this? You know, <laughs> Chad, you, you need to get on these things. I just, hey. Scott Collins on the fly. And now I've got, I'm the first member of the show to get a press pass. And I can nail three interviews in a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in all honesty, you were always the one that was more interested in the interviews than me and Dan. This is true. Uh, me and Dan were just like, we, we go to a convention. It's like, oh, yeah, we want to look at pretty, you know, shiny objects. <laughs> We want to look around and look at some art, and we want to talk to people, but we don't actually want to record it at all. <laughs> oh. Well, well, I gotta say though, first of all, the, I mean it's public knowledge what this guy's name is, but Jerry Milani, he's the PR guy for Wizard. Great guy. I he he emailed me all this information and got me on the list and everything. 
the the cutoff date for this this whole thing was like sometime in mid for like press passes and stuff was like sometime in mid October, and I got with him like a week before the con. <laughs> oh, hats off to I mean yeah I basically was fending for myself as far as getting interviews is concerned. You should have to but, fend for yourself getting interviews. Yeah, yeah, you should. You know, I mean, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not complaining about that because basically the only interviews I, I, the only other interviews I wanted to get, I didn't get, not because Wizard didn't do anything. It's because they were too busy. The, yeah, the creators themselves were way too busy. Yeah. So eh, that's that's it. And but I, otherwise, I got everything I wanted. I was I got the press pass that allowed me to say to these people, "Hey, I'm here on a press pass. I'm here to talk to you." You know, can we get this interview going? So without that end to get the interview, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had all these all three interviews to do. And not to mention, I'm almost, I'm broke as a mother right now, so <laughs> I didn't get to I didn't get to buy anything. But Mike gave me something. Tom gave me something. You know, it's just you know I had I had fun. And and as far as doing the interviews is concerned, yeah, it's cool to walk around and check out everybody's stuff. But it's also a whole different experience to walk behind the table. And sit down with the creator and just like you heard me and Mark laughing with each other during that second. Mark is freaking hilarious. He's a great guy, and it's 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 a whole different experience when you're not necessarily a customer at their table as opposed to someone just trying to get to know them and what they've done in the past. You know, and and, and it's it opens up a different door. Because all three guys were super friendly, so. Well, I don't know. When's the next? Uh, when's the next convention coming around to your area, Chad? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe IckyCon or something. Isn't that? I don't remember what that is. That that's that's up John's alley. That's uh, anime and stuff like that. I don't. I ha- if there's somebody there, I might try and go. I don't. But I don't know if anybody necessarily will be there. Because oh. And and by the way, speaking because Tom and I were talking so much during the con, when I was saying my goodbyes on Sunday to Tom, I told him I said, if you happen to uh, talk to Jeff anytime soon, tell him to get off his lazy ass and get on the show. (laughs) 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 And he goes, is that the message you want me to relay verbatim? (laughs) I said, I said, why not? Oh man! Oh great! Well now he'll never come on. <laughs> well, no, Tom, we had a good repertoire going, so he he knows what I meant. And but I I basically went ahead and said, you know, because all these guys, you know, you build them up in your head to be bigger than life. And because of Jeff's contribution to Green Lantern, and specifically, he's bigger than life to us. But really, he's just a guy just like Tom, you know, a fun guy to talk to and hang out with when he's not doing business. So, you know, he would he would probably get a kick out of that, you know? <laughs> oh, man, Jeff Johns. I mean, you know, aside from his contribution to Green Lantern, I mean, like, even now, his contribution to DC in general with the the animation block going on uh, on Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, that right there, the fact that we have a Green Lantern cartoon... A Green Lantern animated series, which, I mean, you know. I saw for the first time the other night on a certain popular video website. 
we'll call it CartoonNetwork.com. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> How about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we 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 have some you know some idea that the reason that these shows are as good as they are is because Jeff Johns has a hand in it. So I mean, like mm-hmm. his contribution to fandom in general is just like you know it's, it's huge. Absolutely. So did we milk enough out of these interviews? I mean, I, I know you and I talking right now was just kind of sporadic because we're inserting the interviews in later, but does all the content smash out? Yeah, I, Are you guys? I think, uh, I think, I think we got a decent episode out of all this. All right. You know, glad to hear like, it. Like, uh, Interviews, like I said, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge one for interviews in general. Um, only because, you know, it's it's usually a lot more fun to just, you know, bullshit about Green Lantern. <laughs> you know, so until you get to the point where it's like, you know, you have somebody on and you're just bullshitting about Green Lantern or, you know, whatever, you know, as opposed to like a full-on interview, mm-hmm. you know, that's... That's the balance that I, I prefer. Um, now, I mean, obviously there are exceptions, like Denny O'Neill. I mean, like, who the hell isn't going to jump at the opportunity to talk to Denny O'Neill? Right. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, you know, given uh, given the, the the guest list, I, I think you got some some fantastic interviews, and I, these guys all sound great, and I would love to meet you know any of these guys at uh at a con if uh you know if i can actually pay attention enough to to <laughs> seek them out this is like what is it the last one new york comic con like i didn't <laughs> i i paid no attention whatsoever like there were like three people that i wanted to see and that was basically all i saw so thankfully <laughs> thankfully we have chad who's on point when it comes to this stuff well, I mean, I was kind of sporadic, especially with like the Mike Bullock interview. But you know, I tried, I tried to do my best. And and if there's any fault in the interviews, guys, trust me, it's with me and not with the guys I'm interviewing. Oh, I, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as much. Um. But yeah, if you run into Mark, if you run into Tom, and if you run into Mike. All, all of them, definitely, totally approachable guys. And if you're just a fan of Green Lantern, yes, Tom, by all means, he did a sketch for me in my the first sketch in my new sketchbook and of of Hal, and it's fantastic. And uh, it's you know he's great guy, great guy. Oh, doesn't that suck when you don't realize how amazing they draw women? Yes, and you get a guy sketch. What? Oh, you know what's even ridiculous, like more ridiculous, is the fact that I'm standing at the table and he asks me point blank what I want him to draw. Right in front of me is a is two different kind of painted style Supergirl and Wonder Woman, and then that Coppertone Girl sketch. <laughs> and I still was like, oh, whatever Green Lantern character you want, man, just as long as it's Green Lantern related. Oh, man, you could have asked for like, Jade. I, I just. You could have it asked for Aresia. Dude, I'm not really a big fan of Aresia, but oh, if I yeah. were to get one, I, I would have I would have got him. You know what I really would have got him to do? Fatality. And I'm serious about No. 
Blease. It was okay, too. I would have got him to do a Blease. And Tom, if you're listening, please send me a Blease. <laughs> <laughs> Free of charge, please, because... <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah. It, yeah, Tom, Mark, uh, Mike, all great guys, and you should support them uh, in any way you see fit. It's just awesome, awesome guys, totally worth it. And and I said this, I said and the last point I'll make because I'm rambling here is I said this at Super Show or about Super Show, especially about Harold Jeanette and you know Andrew Sharapar. Um, if you go to a con and you see these people that Maybe as far as everyone at the show is concerned, their art is not the thing you admire the most, but they're fantastic people. Who are you going to really support more? And I'm not, I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that Greg Horn is a jerk or anything like that. But hypothetically speaking, let's say Greg Horn just was having a bad day or something and was rude. And he wasn't by any great guy. I'm glad he even took the time to say hello to me because he was so busy. Yeah, he, I've, I've met him I, at least once before, and he seemed very nice when I met him, too. And he is super nice, but I'm talking about just as far as style goes in a hypothetical here. He has fantastic art. But if someone who has fantastic art is rude to you, and yet someone who has art you respect but is super nice to you, who are you going to throw your money behind? <laughs> And and Mike, Mark, and Tom, all three, are those type of guys. Artists I respect and have come to respect even more because I got a chance to talk to them. And they're fantastic guys. So if you see them at a con and you feel like throwing some money their way, they are appreciative and they are kind and everything. So I got a, uh, a Cliff Chang... Um sketch of Hal Jordan and it was a free sketch from New York Comic Con two years ago or well one year ago now year and a couple of months and it came out fantastic you know I mean you know no lie it, it's his distinct style um, this is the same Cliff Chang who's on Wonder Woman right now and the same Cliff Chang that did that story from uh, was it Brave and the Bold uh, where Wonder Woman, Batgirl, and Zatanna... Girls, girls Night Out. Yes, he drew that. And I asked for a Hal Jordan. And, like, it, it, I completely forgot that he did Girls Girls Night Out. Um, and when I, when I realized, I was just like... I was crestfallen. Because it's like, oh my god! It's like, I have... I have this amazing piece of art that you just did for me, and I appreciate it so much. But I could have had a Wonder Woman, a Supergirl, or a Zatanna. You know what you could have had? You could have had a Cliff Chang reproduction of that cover of Supergirl you like so much. Oh, God. I can't, I, no, I can't even imagine, because, like, that would, no, my brain would explode. <laughs> you could have. You could have had a Supergirl cover reproduction from Cliff Chang. I could have had a Blaze from Tom Wynn. <laughs> oh, God. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's escape the coulda, shoulda, wouldas and uh, put this episode to rest. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay, uh, you close us out, Chad. Okay, you guys can contact us, uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. Just give us any kind of feedback. If you're liking the show, if you're not liking the show, and why, and... 
whatever. I mean, we'll we'll try. We try to read almost any feedback and address it if we can. Or you can contact us individually, Jim, Dan, Chad, Jason, or James at lanterncast.com. Um, you can get, leave us a voicemail if you feel more comfortable on the phone. Seven zero eight Lantern is that, and we'll play it as soon as we're able and can address it. Um, we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, and we be sure to like swing by the website www.lanterncast.com and click on the forum link and leak <laughs> <laughs> the forum link and uh over on the comic forums and join the conversation you can talk in the talk back thread or we have other different topics going you know i would say about five to ten different topics going at any given day um on various whatevers so swing by and join the forums if you feel like talking to us some more and if not well you know poo on you oh and we're on itunes there's that. Unless I missed something. Oh, wait, I don't believe you, I did. Are you done? Because I was, I was focusing on that copper tone print. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, that, that copy, a copy of that uh, image will be up on the uh, show notes. So that is a reason to go to the forum. You might want to check out the talkback thread for this episode when you hear it. <laughs> yeah, for the first well, time. You well, you will, you will want to check out the talkback thread. <laughs> Okay. Good night, everybody. Good night.